Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. If you open your Bibles now, turn to 2 Corinthians as we continue in 2 Corinthians this morning. We're in chapter 3. We'll continue in chapter 3 this morning. We began last week uh, to dip in, but we'll continue this morning. Before we do so, let's ask the Lord's blessing once again upon the reading and the preaching and the hearing of His Word. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come again before you. We thank you that you've given our Lord Jesus Christ to us to be our powerful Redeemer and our Good Shepherd and for His care over our lives and for all the blessings He has poured out upon us. We adore and worship you, Lord. We are bowed down before you with a sense of your goodness and your mercy following us. We thank you for our Good Shepherd who has given his life for his sheep. And as we come to you again, and we ask today that you would reassure us by your grace that we are his sheep, because he calls us by name as we recognize his voice. And we pray that as your word is open to us, and in the power of your Holy Spirit, that Christ Jesus himself will speak and will call us by name. That We will be both relieved and overjoyed that you have not left us, but that you still seek us and you still draw us to yourself. And so we pray, Father, that none of us may leave this room today without the awareness that none other than Jesus Christ has spoken to us in his word. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 3. Please do give your full attention. This is the word of our God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness far exceeds it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. 
For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord indeed endures forever. May he add his blessing upon the reading of this word. Well, last week we began to look at this amazing chapter, so full and rich, 2 Corinthians 3, and we saw how Paul developed his argument as he moves forward, this argument and defense of his Christ-given authority and his Christ-derived message. And these pseudo-apostles, these false apostles, grounded their status in earthly things, things from this life, those things that are transient, for a time, limited, destined to go away, physical. But we saw that all they have is what they are. All they have is what they are. And what they are is limited to the flesh, to their abilities in and of themselves alone. And the point being made by the apostle here is that by trusting in God and the power of the gospel, his resources are what? Unlimited. His resources are unlimited because they come from God who is without limit. And Paul moves from explaining that he and his companions, Timothy and Titus, are not sufficient or adequate in themselves, but that their sufficiency comes from God who has made them ministers of a new covenant of the Spirit, not the letter. And he begins laying out this stark and bold contrast between the old and the new. And that's the main point, if we encapsulate it, if we boil it down, is that the new covenant is superior over the covenant made that God made with Israel at Sinai. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. And we begin to look last week at the, these contrasts, right? First we saw the contrast of geography, uh, which, you know, of location. Uh, Paul says in verse 3, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered to us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Right? And he draws this contrast between the way in which God wrote the commandments, right? the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. Where were they written? Tablets of stone. And he contrasts that with the way that the, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel, the Lord Jesus writes His grace onto tablets of human hearts. And that law given at Sinai was inscribed on stone tablets. And that law demanded and it commanded what and what not to do, right? Thou shalt, thou shalt not. But the law had no power. It had no power to enable a person to do what it commanded. And remember, too, the setting that the people received this law, right? The setting was the Exodus, right? That's where they were given it. God's people were radically, geographically relocated. Yet that did not transform their hearts to make them able to do what God commanded them in that law. Paul gets at this in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Romans 8, verse 3 says, 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Right? How did he do it? He goes on. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Right? You see the glory of the gospel there. Right? It's, 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 it's that what the law could not do, God did through Jesus Christ. Right? Was this a fault or something wrong with the law? Paul says no. But the law was not given to enable you to keep them. God does. God accomplishes what the law could not do because of the weakness of our flesh, Paul says in Romans. And so in Christ, he has commanded sin, I'm sorry, condemned sin in the flesh so that what the Lord commanded to do, we might, by grace, be enabled to do, right, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's only when God, by the Spirit, writes his grace into your heart that you have the, the Spirit power within. Of course, not perfectly. Of course, not perfectly in this life. But we begin to follow and to obey. We follow and obey and we live as he commands because we love him. And we want to live the life that he loves and wants and wills for us. So the contrast of geography, the contrast of location where the law is written, it's so important, brothers and sisters. And so is the glory of that change in your life. You know, the outside world looks in at us, and they cannot grasp at all why we would waste a perfectly good day off to get up early and traverse the cold and the snow and the slippery ice, right? why we would sacrifice sleep and warmth to come to a church and sing and sit and stand and confess our faults and failures. You don't understand that. But when the heart is changed from stone to flesh, we begin to long for the Lord's day. Right? We long for it as an anchor for our week. And we long to be with Jesus and to be with his people and to hear from him and to receive from him and to commune with him. We are pushed forward from Lord's day to Lord's day. And what we could never do apart from the work of the Spirit of Christ, we begin to do. And it changes everything. And that is most amazing, brothers and sisters. And I pray that each of you have tasted and experienced that change of location, change of geography, and the power of the Spirit in your lives. Remember, with birth comes growth, right? And it is altogether a wonderful thing to grow in the Lord as we surrender to His will and His working in us. Part of what we are free to do in our salvation, dear Christian, we are freed from the bondage of sin, and we're free to begin to keep the law. That's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. And then Paul, he continues, his chain of thought, his train of thought continues, and he goes from this contrast of where the law is written, stone to heart, to the contrast of the effects of that, right? The effects are radically different in the old, from the old and the new. And we see this in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul says, God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, right? The new covenant is what? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Those are radically different effects, ramifications, outcomes, right? Death or life. What could be more opposite? The law reveals our need for a Savior. One who perfectly kept all that the law demanded, all that the law commanded. The law restrains evil. 
The law is also a rule of life for God's people. We are not saved unto lawlessness, but only those who are freed from the law, as I said, are enabled to begin to keep it. It's a glorious, wonderful paradox. Only those for whom the law is no longer a condemnation are free to begin to keep it. And so may we take this truth, life by the Spirit, into our hearts and glory in the provision worked by our great Savior Jesus. Well, that was kind of a review of the first two that we looked at last week. But Paul goes on in making his point here, and he turns to redemptive history to do so. It's something that Paul uh, very often does. He's making a a point, and he points back to God's work in history, covenantal history, the history of redemption to do so. And particularly here, as his argument continues, as his, uh, what he is saying as he's developing, he goes to Exodus 34 about uh, where Moses meets with God. And you'll recall that the face of Moses shone because he had been with the Lord. right? And when the people saw it, they were afraid. And Moses began to put a veil over his face whenever he was not with the Lord for the sake of the people. And we'll read in a moment, back in 2 Corinthians 3, that this was something like, you may recall as children, uh, we would have things that would glow in the dark. Do you remember these? Uh, be a toy or a picture or a poster, and you would put it under a lamp, and then you'd turn the light off, and it would glow brightly. But then it would almost immediately begin to fade away. You had to put it back under the light to recharge it, and it would fade away. Here in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3, we have this contrast of glory. And we heard about the contrast of geography, right? Old stone, new heart. The contrast of effects. The old kills. The new gives life. And now this contrast of glory that Paul, you know, his, his, his discussion culminates in this. In verse 7 and 8, flesh out more of this contrast between the old covenant whose mediator was Moses and the new covenant whose mediator is Jesus. And he says this, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Isn't that interesting? Paul refers to the ministry of Moses as a ministry of death, of condemnation. Again, why? Why does he do that? You know, there have always been in the history of the church those who have spoken ill of the law, those who were anti-law. And even many, many today hold a view of Scripture that is not structured from God's, the perspective, the understanding uh, that, that Scripture shows us that God's working uh, with his, in His creation by way of covenants. And they say that the law was for a certain time only, but is now to be done away with in the period that we're in. And it doesn't apply anymore. And the result of this ends up being house rules. Right? You've probably heard of this if you've gone over to someone else's house and you play a game and it's, their rules are a little different than, uh, than your rules. Right? It's the rules of the house. And that's kind of what ends up happening when they replace the law of God with house rules. It's like the arbitrary, don't do this or don't do that. You've heard, uh, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with those who do. Right? You've heard these kind of things historically. 
that ends up being a kind of anti-lawism. And at the same time, it's kind of a, a legalism. But brothers and sisters, that is not what Paul is getting at. Paul is not saying that the law is to be thrown away. The law is lovely. It is wonderful. It reveals the character of God. Indeed, the longest chapter in our Bibles is a reflection on God's law. Right? Psalm 119. The law itself, Paul says, we heard in Romans 7, is holy, and righteous, and good. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with us. We are sinful. Because of our inability to obey God's commandments, the law reveals the degree of our sinfulness. And it brings guilt and death and condemnation. And so under that transitional, inferior covenant made at Sinai, God's glory from the, uh, you know, the glory from the face of Moses shone for days. No one could stand to, to look at him. How much more glory, how much greater the glory of the covenant that is permanent, eternal, superior, which does not condemn, but reveals the glory of, and righteousness of God himself. That new covenant ratified in the blood of Jesus and now written upon our hearts. And so Paul continues his contrast of glory in verse 10 and 11. He says, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Right? Why is it? Because the glory that surpasses it. The new covenant. And then he says, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Not only is the contrast between this a contrast between the degrees of glory with the old and new important, but notice Paul also speaks, this is very important. Uh, you know, he speaks of the old covenant as being brought to an end. Being brought to an end. Right? The covenant made with God at Sinai has run its course. Right? Within that covenant, there was planned obsolescence. It wasn't meant to be unending or eternal or impermanent. It was meant to be permanent and to come to an end. Planned obsolescence. Israel has fulfilled its national purpose in that regard. Jesus Christ has come, turning promise into fulfillment. The type and the shadow of the old are replaced by the reality and the fulfillment of those things. And so Paul is saying that the old covenant, which had a certain glory associated with it, has now been surpassed by a new and better covenant with much greater glory and which is permanent. It's permanent because this covenant has been what? It's been ratified by the blood of Jesus. It's been applied to us by the work of the Spirit. And it's been signed and sealed to us in baptism. So Paul can go on and he says in verse 12 and 13, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, Right? And so we see that the ministry of the Old Covenant, sorry, the ministry of the New Covenant is grounded in the certainty of Christ's resurrection. Right? The work of Christ, His death and His resurrection. And it's proclaimed in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Word and sacrament. And so Paul can minister, how? With boldness and with great sure hope. Because he's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Who's promised to work through that message through that truth, through the glorious gospel. Paul knows that the promises given to Moses are now a reality. Right? Moses could only offer promises that were future. Right? They were for future fulfillment. And that glory ultimately faded away 
just like that glow stick or that glow-in-the-dark thing that we remember as children. And pointing to the fact that the Old Covenant would eventually come to an end. It served its purpose, and because it was surpassed by what? By the coming of Christ. In verse, 13, uh, verse 14, we were reminded of Israel's unbelief. Right? Again, going back, he points back to redemptive history. He says, but their minds were hardened. Their minds were hardened. That was true for Israel in the days of Moses. But it was also true for the Jews in the days of Paul. Paul describes how a spiritual veil covers their hearts. And just like in the days of Moses, remember how they were described, Old Testament people of God, stiff-necked, hard hearts against God, and also in Paul's day, right? hardness remains. Hardness remains among them who do not accept Jesus as their Messiah. And then verse 14 goes on, For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through, G only through Christ it is taken away. Right? The types and the shadows of the law and the sacri sacrificial system of the Old could not bring life. It could not bring life. And because the Jews still cling to those types and shadows, they renounce Jesus as Messiah. They reject the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own righteousness. And unless God removes that veil through regeneration and faith, they will not see that the law was given to drive them to Christ, to drive them to the Messiah promised, and to a greater glory than the glory uh, from which Moses' face shone. They cannot see it. They cannot see this, and so Israel is satisfied with that old covenant, even though it is now null and void because Christ has come. It surpassed it. So Paul says in verse 15, he goes on, To this day, whenever Moses has read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Right? Isn't that glorious? It's only through the light of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that people understand the Old Covenant promises are given way to the fulfillment of the New. And he goes on, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. Those in Christ have been set free. The law no longer brings death to those who trust in Christ, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In the New Covenant, there is forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of the Spirit internalizes that which was external. The law no, no longer kills those who are in Christ. In fact, because we are righteous in Christ and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we are now free, right? Free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from sin and death, and free from blindness to the gospel. And as I said earlier, we are free from the condemnation of the law and free to obey that law. People who are now alive through the Spirit live to God. Right? They live to God. And I pray that you would live to God, and that we would increasingly live to God. With the law written upon our hearts, we are now willing to obey that same law which once brought death. Free to obey out of thankfulness, right? out of gratitude for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then Paul closes this chapter. He says, We all with unveiled faces, right? unveiled faces, glorious, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? What a, what a chapter full of glory. Glory culminating, pointing, the apex being the glory of the Lord and the new covenants. Beholding the Lord through the indwelling work of the Spirit, we are being transformed, right? Grown in holiness. Made ready for that radically greater resurrection glory, which will be our final reality into eternity. Right? The Puritans would, were often, uh, would often say things like, uh, the Lord in this life is tuning our hearts for glory, for tuning our hearts for heaven, preparing us for our eternal state. And isn't that the case? I think it was John Owen who would say, you know, if you don't much long for Jesus in this life, why would you long for him in the next? Right? So we grow in our understanding, our comprehension, our desire, our passion, and our ardency to live for the Lord in all things. As a consequence of the fall, Paul references here, the image of God in us was distorted. It was broken and distorted. But Paul says that it will be restored in us, right? first in our regeneration, and ultimately at the day of resurrection. May we, brothers and sisters, grasp the glory and truth of what God is telling us here in chapter 3. Right? The ministry of the gospel, of a new and better covenant which does not have fading glory that is gone. Paul doesn't depend, right? He's grounding, he's developing all this, and he's saying he doesn't depend on flashy words, or flashy rhetorical skills, or eloquence. Right? The new covenant is tied to the age of the Spirit, and so Paul's apostolic office right, is grounded in the preaching of Christ crucified, the message which is both a pleasing aroma to God, he has said in chapter 2, and also attractive to sinners as well as the message through which the power of the Spirit gives life. It transforms sinners like you and I into the image of Christ more and more. And this passage clearly tells us that Israel's role in redemptive history is now complete. It served its glorious purpose. The Mosaic Covenant has passed away, and the contrast is clear to the much more glorious reality of the new, old, new, letter, spirit, promise, Fulfillment, fading glory, greatest glory, right? a ministry of condemnation, and a ministry of righteousness, temporary, permanent. One kills, one gives life. And unless and until the Holy Spirit lifts the veil over our eyes and hearts, we will never see Christ's superiority over Moses or any other thing. Do you revel in glory and the supremacy of Christ in all things? Have you thought about that? Do you meditate upon that? Is that something that drives you through your life? The supremacy of Christ in all things. Do you see and know the power of Christ in the Spirit's work in the preaching of the gospel, in the preached gospel, as you hear it, as you read it, as you preach it to your own soul? Because without the Spirit's lifting of the veil, we cannot know Christ's superiority. But once that veil is lifted... It's all that we see. It's all that we see. Imperfect, true. But that is what drives us forward. And that is part of who we are. And that is all that we are. And we are transformed by the Holy Spirit into an increasing Christ-likeness. And so, dear Christian, as you go back from this foretaste of glory and from receiving from the Lord for this week and indeed for your lives, let us go knowing and trusting that where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
There is freedom. Freedom. Freedom from sin's condemnation. Freedom from sin's control. Freedom from sin's guilt. As a friend of mine often said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Jesus Christ in all of His new covenant glory. Brothers and sisters, delight in your Savior. Know the freedom that He alone gives. Live your pilgrim life to the praise of His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for Your love and mercy towards us. We thank You that You have lifted the veil from our hearts and shown us Jesus. We thank You for His work and all that He's done in accomplishing our salvation, for living a perfect life, keeping the demands of the law, taking the punishment deserved us, Lord, in our place. We praise You and we thank You and we pray that You would help us to ever increasingly live our lives for Him and to remember and know these truths, to believe and trust them, and they would be at the forefront of our minds and our thinking, and that they would indeed color all that we do. We ask that you would be with us, continuing now, and we ask all these things for your glory. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.